Okay, hi, Jeff Cooper here from Classic Christian Rock Radio, and uh, this is the Time Machine Show. Today we're talking with Alex McDougall, and uh, it's always fun getting these interviews together with the time zones. What time zone are you in, Alex? I'm in Central Time Zone because wow. I, I live in, in Nashville. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, what took you to Nashville, other than uh, music, obviously? Well, uh, mostly that, plus... Uh, we also have uh, kids and grandkids here, so uh, we had lived here during the 90s, moved back to Southern California, and we're, we're basically gone for 16 years from the Nashville area mm. between uh, we were living in Southern Cal and also uh, uh, Central Texas, Waco, and uh, Dallas, and then we ended up just moving back to Nashville. Mm. So Great. here we are. Yeah, there you are. We came back to <laughs> And your team, your hockey team is out, and ours never got started. So there you go. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so what age? What age did you start in music? Oh gosh, I I always liked music and listened to it as a as a boy. And uh, but uh, I I think the first thing I can point to is uh, I had a little transistor radio, and that was that was pretty much. Uh, you know, that was the cool thing to have uh, when I was 10 years old. And and I remember the, the very first time I heard Hit the Road Jack mm -hmm. by Ray Charles. I had to have that record. And mm -hmm. I remember pedaling my bike. I was 10 years old. I remember pedaling my bicycle down to the record store and uh, buying it. So that was my very first record. And it just took off from there, listening to music and, and then course uh seeing the beatles on ed sullivan in february of 1964 uh that's when i said that's what i want to do i yeah. want to play drums and yeah. so it started it started at that point i was uh 13 years old i guess mm -hmm. yeah i think i was probably eight so <laughs> something like yeah. that and and uh, i saw ringo and it says i'll never grow my hair like that mom but i did so it's okay. Yeah. <laughs> so between him, yeah. between him and uh, Little Ricky, those were the two I saw. Of course, Keith Thibodeau we've had on the show, and uh, that was uh, lots of you know influence for me drumming. As you asked, I was a, yeah, I'm a drummer. So, <laughs> anyways, tell us yeah. about life growing up, etc. A bit about your testimony. Okay. Well, I I grew up in Southern California, um, and it was paradise back in the '50s and the '60s. Um, as a as a boy, what what you would do would you'd go into the orange groves and have you'd play war, you know, throwing oranges at each other, and then when you get hungry, you'd just eat an orange off the tree, and you'd have to keep an eye open for the farmer, uh, with with the shotgun and the rock salt and all that stuff. But uh, <laughs> that's what you did. You played little league, and and uh, I had a pretty normal childhood uh, that way, although. Um, the one thing that did influence my life was that I was obese at the time as mm -hmm. a child. Mm -hmm. And so that, that factors into my testimony because when I graduated high school in uh, June of 1969, uh, there was a Billy Graham crusade uh, just a few months later in October of 69. And on a bet from a high school teacher, I went to the Billy Graham crusade in Anaheim, California at Angel Stadium. And I'll never forget, he, Mr. Graham spoke of 2 Corinthians 5, 17, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. Mm -hmm. Old things are passed away, all things will become new. And I said, that's what I want. 
uh, because, as I said, I was obese. And so I went down, accepted Christ down on the, on the field, and my life radically turned around, uh, you know, both in my weight and in uh, my musical uh, aspirations. Wow. That changed everything. Wow. That's awesome. Wow. Um, so what, uh, I guess, did you, early on, did you play in garage bands and, and just the typical uh, rock and roll bands? Or because you became a Christian early on, how did that affect your music right away? Well, I had, I had started playing in lots of garage bands before that, prior to my conversion. Yeah. In fact, um, one of the bands, and I also took lessons. I took, before I became a Christian, I had taken Latin percussion lessons for a couple of years. I was fascinated by Brazilian music, mm -hmm. and uh, I would take percussion lessons and um, things that most uh, drummers or guys my age back in the 60s didn't really do. Mm. Um, and I was interested in Sergio Mendes in Brazil. Uh, was it 66? Uh, Mosque Nada. You know, when I heard that, I thought, oh, gosh, I want to play mm. percussion, you know, and yeah. learn how to do that. So I had gone through years of lessons and uh, uh, also years of rehearsal. I mean, that is all I ever did after school every day is I came home and played drums mm -hmm. every day without fail for two or three hours. Yeah. And uh, but one of my bandmates uh, from those days. I was actually in a uh, in a garage band with a uh, a man called Mark, and he had a younger brother, John, who was two years younger than me. And John and I played in uh, lots of little jam bands and whatnot in the uh, late '60s. And then I went to church where I got saved, and I started going to Calvary Chapel in Costa Mesa. And John. The, was a guitarist and and he said boy you've really changed what's the deal and i said well i'm i'm a christian now and I, he said he wanted to go to church with me mm -hmm. so he did and he got saved and so john's last name is wickham oh <laughs> and so <laughs> yeah john uh, yeah so john and i were together <clears throat> in the band the way yeah and uh and of course, John has two boys, uh, Phil and uh, Evan's the older, and then Phil is the younger son. Yes. So we go, we go way back. Yeah. Well, the roots are, are uh, deep, eh? And that was mm -hmm. one of my uh, favorite bands, by the way. I just loved uh, the percussion and uh, the drums. Did you play the full drum kit and percussion, or do you have like a two drummer thing going on? No, that wasn't until DA. We just had. Yeah. I was. I, drummer for the way yes. and play percussion on the on the record yeah yeah okay that's what I, that's what i remember so um with the way uh early early on um they didn't even have a drummer did they originally no they were just a uh they were a quartet then a quintet mm -hmm. with no drums then one of the guys dropped out uh wickham came in uh initially playing bass although you know he was a guitar player uh, a great guitar player, yeah. and so then he ended up getting to trade off and play guitar on some songs. Mm -hmm. So, and then I came played on their first album, yeah, on the way album. And uh, Buck Herring was the producer, Annie Herring's husband, yeah. And um, and so uh, that was, uh, you know, we recorded that. I'll, I'll never forget that record because we we took the uh, the the time frame from I don't know ten o'clock till. 
at night till six in the morning or something. And it was it was up in the north end of Los Angeles. <laughs> wow. Up. And so we'd drive up there and we'd camp out all night and record. And the day band, the band that was in there all day was Ambrosia hmm. in that studio. And so, um, you know, we would, we would uh, rub shoulders with those guys, but they didn't even have a hit at that time. That was their hmm. first album. Yeah. And so, uh, but I played drums and percussion on that on that first Way album, and uh, and then I joined after that first album. Yeah, and then uh, Daniel Amos came along. Uh, how did the, did you were you in like both bands at any one time? You know, was there a transition, or did you leave the Way and then go to Daniel Amos? Actually, I left the Way mm-hmm. uh, to join Richie Fure. Right. Okay. Um, that was in, in 1975. What had happened was. Uh, growing up uh, in an L.A. suburb uh, and being, you know, 16, 17 years of age, it was the perfect time during the during that part of the 1960s to see just about any great rock band from San Francisco or, you know, wherever they were from. Uh, and so there was a place called the Shrine Auditorium. And so my favorite band in in high school was a, a band uh, called Buffalo Springfield. Yeah, and I would I would go see those guys all the time, uh, hang out. Back then, there wasn't any security; you could just go into the dressing room and visit. And mm. I have lots of snapshots snapshots of those days with you know Richie and Neil Young and Stephen Stills and you know Grateful Dead and uh, Frank Zappa and I mean all kinds of people. Wow. Um, and so uh, I got to know Richie, I, uh, and he was very kind to me. And he had nothing to gain by it. Mm-hmm. I was just a, 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 I was just an overweight high school kid, mm-hmm. you know. But he was very kind to me and said, "Hey, come over to our house sometime if you want and visit." And I would do that. I would drop by, and that was that was probably in '67, uh, I would say, mm-hmm. maybe '66, wow. and then. Um, Fast forward, you know, I'm in the way, I, be, I become a Christian, I'm in the way, and then um, I met Al Perkins yeah. at church, and Al became, Al wanted to produce our second album, which was called Can It Be? Mm-hmm. And at that time, Al was playing pedal steel with uh, Souther Hillman Fure. I told Al my story, and he said, well, would you like to re-meet Richie? Mm-hmm. Uh, he's become a Christian is I said yes mm-hmm. and so I went up to LA and Al introduced me and Richie remembered me from all those years earlier and then uh, and when he formed the band the Richie Fury band uh, he asked me if I would play percussion on his record and so that's how that happened and then when the record was finished we did a showcase mm-hmm. um, up in LA for uh, the label and uh, I'll never forget Bill Schnee who, who uh, co-produced and engineered the record Bill told uh, Richie, "You need uh, you need Alex in your band to, to pull this stuff off live." And so Richie said, "Would you be in my band?" And I said, "Sure." So that's when I quit the way. Yeah. And that was to go on the road with Richie. That would have been 1976. Yeah. Well, you're filling in some lot of blanks here for us because we often talk about the timelines with these groups and and uh, who played with who and who influenced who and who uh, produced who and yeah, that really fills in yeah. some gaps for me. Wow, thank you. <laughs> some mysteries have been solved. That's why even my list of bands for you are out of order by the sound of it. Um, so then, um, Daniel Amos is probably well. Apart from there's other bands, of course, you've been well known with Daniel Amos. Uh, you were quite. 
uh, well known with and I'll never forget uh, the concerts with all the percussion and we'll get to some of that in a minute. So how did the Daniel Amos uh, gigs get together with you? Well there again um, their first album and I want to say Al Perkins produced that also. I can't remember though uh, but could anyway have. I played very, Yeah very country so he could have we'll have to look that up. Yeah and, and so I played on the first album and those guys they went to the same church i did calvary chapel and they were they were really good as a as an acoustic uh group and then uh they were great and i played on their first record mm -hmm. and um so uh that was during the time i was in richie's band and so then my time with richie came to a close i moved back to southern cal and um D.A. asked me if I'd come into the studio and play on their second record, mm -hmm. which was uh, Shotgun Angel, mm -hmm. and so I did. And I remember thinking, I just couldn't believe how much they had progressed in one record. Really, yeah. As a, yeah. As a songwriter and artist. Yeah. And they asked me to join, and I did. Mm -hmm. And so I did on the condition, because I was a drummer and uh in the studio, I played more percussion, and I said, I'll join as long as I can play both in the band, and that's how we added the double sets. Right. Uh, because I I had seen that with the dead. Yep. Of course, the Allman Brothers did that, and the Mothers did that, mm -hmm. and I always wanted to be in a band with two drummers, and yeah. so that's how we did it, and then I had a percussion table set up, and I could kind of go back and forth between the two, and so I did that, uh, and then concurrent with that, I had met... Um, I had gone on the road, there was a little bit of off time, and I had gone on the road with Terry Talbot, mm -hmm. and I'm, we were playing at a festival in, um, I want to say Lincoln, Nebraska, probably 1977, and uh, so I was on the road with Terry, and uh, we uh, Terry was opening up for Randy Stonehill, that was it, yeah. and so uh, we I played with Terry, and then uh, came off stage, and Randy, I, I met Randy for the first time, and he said, "Hey, I'm forming a band. Would you be in it? Would oh, you be my drummer?" Wow. And uh, do you live in LA? And I said, "Yeah." So uh, <coughs> that's how that happened. Unbeknownst to me, Larry Norman was at that same festival. Yeah. Um, and so um, the next day, I remember I got up from uh, the motel room to come out into the to the travel van and Larry was standing out in the parking lot and he came over to me and introduced himself and he said, uh, would you be in my band? <laughs> and I said, it was that easy. So, yeah. uh, that's how that, so, so the dilemma came about, uh, in the, because I was in DA, I was in Daniel Amos, but these other guys wanted me too. Yeah. So it all, but, it all worked out for me to do it all, actually. Yeah. Um, the travel schedules were different, and so, uh, you know, for a while there, I was in, you know, I was in all three entities on the road at different times. I remember, I think I remember the, some of the concerts, and it was you in all three bands, or two bands at least. So, like the yeah. a Amos and Randy tour, for example. Um, yeah, that's right. You know, and uh, the Larry Norman band tour. I've got his poster yeah. still on my wall. Um, that you were there and your brother as well. And, uh, yeah, so it's good to hear these little tricks back and forth, how they came about. So do you have any um, favorite tunes from uh, any of these groups? 
Oh, gosh. Yeah, I would. Uh, I mean, I had a couple with the way that I really enjoyed. Uh, D.A. was just, uh, D.A. was a blast to play with. Yeah. And also, D.A. Uh, offered me my, uh, they allowed me a lot of creativity when we did uh, Horrendous Disc. Yeah, uh, yeah. I put all kind of parts out and, the, you know, the whole big, uh, there's a big uh, kind of uh, percussive, sound effects section in the track horrendous disc mm-hmm. uh that i put all that together and you know that you know that was something i always wanted to do was do that kind of stuff and yeah. uh so uh, you know with richie i love playing live with richie that was that was so fun we opened a whole lot of dates i don't know 15 or 20 dates for leon and mary russell we opened for the beach boys mm-hmm. in new york we opened for billy joel and loggins and messina and uh I I, yeah. I can't even remember right <laughs> now, but there was a lot of folks we were on the road with, and it was just a wonderful time. Yeah, you know. Yeah. But somehow, somehow in that mix, uh, I met Bob Bennett. Yep. And uh, played on his first album, played on his second album, played on his third album, mm-hmm. and then we actually went out on the road. Uh, we went out on the road in the early '80s. Um, as a trio, it was Bob Bennett, John Patitucci on bass, mm-hmm. and myself. Wow! And we did a trio. We did a trio thing that was just—it was a great. It was a marriage of folk and jazz. Yeah. And it was just a whole fun. And we did that for about a year on the road with three of us. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, uh, there's a track called "Savior of the World" mm-hmm. that's on Bob's. Uh, Nonfiction album. I I love playing on that because I did all the percussion and I I wrote out all the parts and yeah. Jim Keltner, who was a real uh, musical idol of mine, played drums on it and I mean it was just a great band. Yeah. You know, uh, studio. Yeah, and you so, you recently collaborated again, didn't you? A couple of years ago, I think it was with um, with Bob, I think, right. Did you have a... Oh, that's right, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, with uh, Jesus Music Again. That's it. Probably. It was with Bob and Bill Batstone. And, and Billy yeah. Batstone, uh, Billy is a, is a great story, a uh, great person and friend. Uh, he was actually in the very first Christian band I was ever in, which was called Rebirth. Mm-hmm. was with uh, Billy played bass and a, a, guy, a man called David Diggs, or Dave Diggs played keyboards, mm-hmm. and he's worked for Pat Boone. 30 years I think and my brother and there was a drummer uh, named Paul mm-hmm. and then I played uh, percussion that was my first foray into being in a Christian music band yeah. Uh, yeah. Was, was that so uh, but Billy uh, yeah Billy Batstone um, and Bob and myself did that Jesus Music Again project about five years ago I think yeah. and uh, Phil uh, Phil played on Phil Keggy played on it, mm-hmm. and uh, some really great players came and helped us out on yeah. it. So it was a lot of fun. Yeah, we'll have to find that one. I definitely, uh, yeah, awesome. Um, Salvation Air Force, local guys that I, I w- was aware of, uh, they had some connections with you as well and with Larry Norman. So, uh, what stories do you have about them? Well, they were just like DA. Uh, the Gossett brothers were just a whole lot of fun to be with. Yeah. And I, I remember meeting them during, um, the way mm-hmm. when the way came to Vancouver, I remember meeting the Gossett brothers and 
And uh, then little by little in different bands, they would come to the different concerts. And then they invited myself and my brother to come up and help them make records. And um, they, I remember they, their dad was a, uh, a radio, uh, had a radio ministry yep. and uh, had, they had homes on both sides of the border. They had a home in Blaine and then on the other side in, uh, what's the town right on the other, on your side of the border? Uh, uh, in uh, uh, White Rock? Or would no, it have been Lind Linden, well, the other side, um, <laughs> think of my geography here, uh, Surrey, yeah, I don't know. Vancouver, Burnaby, Bur Burnaby is further away. I'm just trying to think back. Cloverdale, Abbotsford, uh, Chilliwack, they're all sort of near there. Um, I just remember it was right on the border. I, yeah. That's all, I, and it was, and, the, and we would go back and forth between the yeah. two houses, and they had a yeah. studio, and yeah. that, that was a whole Fun. Yeah, and they would go. They would take us up to this Chinese restaurant in Vancouver. Mm -hmm. That was I've still never had Chinese food that good. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> it, I wish I remembered the name of it. I remember they had large tables with big lazy Susans mm -hmm. that were in the middle of the table, and it would hold these massive platters of Chinese food. Uh, it was it was amazing food. So uh, those are fond memories. Yeah. Yeah. I think uh, White Rock. When, when if I go to the border to um, Lint to not to Linden but to um, Birch Bay, which is where I think you're talking in near Blaine, uh, White Rock is the first is the last one you were at. So there's Surrey and White Rock. Anyway, people don't need the geography, but yeah, I know where the area is. <laughs> so um, yeah, we used to go and do church picnics there, and then go across the border and and um, go to the Denny's. There was a Denny's across the border. So there's a commercial for them. Um, <clears throat> so I was going to ask you back a bit, um, as a drummer and percussionist, where did you come up with all the th ideas of uh, playing? You played everything from hubcaps to garden tools, from what I remember. Um, did you just you try know, different things with different sounds? And what was your favorite? I, did. I just had a big imagination with that. I was always a huge fan of cartoon sound effects yeah uh, oftentimes I, I wouldn't even watch cartoons i would just listen to the to the sound effects they were fascinating to me and then also movie sound effects and um so i tried to incorporate a, a lot of that it didn't matter if it was uh, if the items were from part spare parts from cars or toys or whatever or empty uh empty uh, water bottles or whatever it didn't matter as long as it made sound and uh even in, in richie's band uh i remember visiting southern california and and calling up disney studios and telling them of my interest in their in sound effects and they were very gracious they they allowed me to come to uh disney studios in burbank and go through the sound effects department mm -hmm. and i looked at all the hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of sound effects that had been created by a man called Jimmy McDonald mm -hmm. uh, during the 1940s and 50s. And so I got to, to play those things and see them. And, uh, and uh, you know, I always just thought, why not? You know, that's what made a percussionist unique. Nowadays, uh, most items uh, can be sampled or you can buy samples of them and and so, I mean, to me, that always took away the personality. Yeah. Um, and I, I saw a lot of uh, advantage for bringing personality into the percussion performance. Mm -hmm. So that's why I did that. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, you can't beat the real thing, you know. <laughs> 
Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. Any memorable gigs to talk about? Oh, um, well, for different reasons. Yeah. I have different memories. You know, I mean, everything from a, the, the uh, roadie and DA uh, knocking the power lines down so there was no power to a festival oh. to uh, best, the best gig that I, uh, the best event I ever played for was probably uh, DA in 1980 at Greenbelt, mm-hmm. which was uh, the Greenbelt Festival in the U.K., it was um, it was a great event. Yeah. I mean, everything, it couldn't have gone better that day. And in fact, many, many, many years later, uh, Stu, uh, Stu G from Delirious mm-hmm. told me that he was, he was there that day. And he saw DA and that was, that's when he, he was 15 at the time. And he said that was the day he decided he wanted to uh, play music in a Christian band. Wow. So, yeah. That was pretty memorable to me. Yeah, that's that's awesome. Yeah, and uh, I think is that the same one that has uh, Larry Norman and Randy Stonehill? There was a an album, green vinyl album. I think were you on that one as well? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I think yeah. we have that yeah. in the library somewhere. Yeah, that was from nineteen seventy nine. Yeah, okay. that record was, was those, but this and this was the year following when I went back. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was go back but this time with da yeah and uh and we tore it up it was great yeah i bet they loved it were they in transition at that point to the new, more new wave or were they still uh, yeah 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 oh yeah we were we were always playing one or two albums ahead of what we had already yeah. just put out yeah you know? yeah yeah we were always working on new stuff yeah well, I'll tell. I would. I've told people too that if they get the horrendous disc box, box set, which I want to ask you about, uh, you can hear uh, the progression early on, and there's not such a, a sharp difference between horrendous disc and Alarma. If you hear all those songs that never got out on vinyl, that were probably intended to be another album, or part of the two albums, right? Am I right with that? Yeah. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. That. The the when I got the box set, the DA box set, horrendous disc. I had forgotten all those songs that we recorded, and there were some great ones. Yeah, uh, some great tunes and very melodic and very well written songs, and they just never came out. And so, um, if if someone does uh, decide they want to buy that the uh, the box set of horrendous disc, they will get all those tunes that we were doing. When we thought horrendous disc should be out, we just and but it wasn't. We just kept on going. Yeah. We kept writing and recording. Yep. Yeah, definitely uh, great stuff. There's some like there's some things there. I'm going. How did this ever not get out and see the light of day till now? Uh, so tell us about uh, back in the day. Then horrendous disc is recorded, and uh, you're all set to put it out. What what actually held it up? Well, Larry held it up. Yeah. Um, and I, I say that with loving yeah, memories of Exactly, Larry. yeah. Uh, uh, but the tension got, and you got you have to remember, I I brought Larry and D.A. together. Mm-hmm. Because I was, playing, I was playing with both and Randy, I thought, well, I don't want to give up anybody. I want to play with everybody. And how about if I introduce everybody to each other? So I had a, a big pajama party at my house. Uh, <laughs> yeah. And uh, 
So they all came. Larry thought it was quirky enough that he would do it, mm-hmm. and so that's how, how uh, uh, that's how they all met. And uh, but the tension got so bad, and um, I just I just thought I can't pick sides. Um, although I thought Larry was in the wrong, I just thought I'm getting out of here, and so I quit it all. I, I quit everything yeah. and uh, took a job at Disneyland as a park drummer, mm-hmm. and uh, that was it. Yeah, I was out. Yeah, tough times, tough times. Um, so the, anyway, the remasters are amazing. And why? Um, why did this? I've asked this one already. Why did the songs we now hear in the bonus disc not get released earlier? But what is different and improved? How did they get this? amazing there's things i'm hearing we're talking about your percussion i'm hearing things that i didn't hear the first time how did they bring that out like what's so different about the remasters people go is it worth buying it yes so what did they do different i don't know what they did i know that they they obviously technology in in a lot of senses has vastly improved Mm -hmm. from the late 1970s so they were probably able to isolate things uh, more then were originally isolated and and do different processes uh, in the mix bound mm-hmm. and mastering and uh, but they did a superb job. I mean, I, I couldn't believe what I was hearing the first time I listened to it. Yeah. So it was the way that it was intended. Yeah, you know? yeah. And I think too, maybe they they had a better quality or they had the real masters. Like, was it because some of the earlier uh vinyl releases or the second or third generation releases weren't from the original vinyl so we got used to hearing them is that maybe part you of know, that could be. Yeah. i don't know yeah. uh there's other guys you know jerry would probably speak better to that yeah. jerry and, yeah. and daniel yeah uh, i don't know i just sort of uh threw my hands up in the air <laughs> and, and walked away from all yeah. and just decided i'm not doing this anymore yeah. so yeah tough times uh, yeah but then you but then years later, mm-hmm. uh, I'm going to say uh, probably um, nine or ten years later, I, I had not seen Larry in all this time, and I bumped into him in an airport, uh, the Phoenix, uh, Sky Harbor in Phoenix, Arizona. I bumped into him, and it was just like we never parted. And from then on, he was in my life yeah. again. And uh, and so I, I visited him in Salem uh, you know, before he died, and uh, my wife and I went to his uh, memorial service. We drove up to Salem, and uh, so um, he he was, uh, you know, he he was a, a different person. You know, those last months, he you know, all he wanted to talk about was scripture. Yeah. When I met him, and and he was he was really sweet man. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So. Well, I agree with you. I heard your dog bark. Now my dog's barking. I agree with you. I'd met him earlier on and way, way back and uh, tried to do an interview, and that was near impossible. And I met him uh, not not too, uh, I guess it was in the 90s or late 90s, and he was much nicer <laughs> to me anyway. At yeah. least he came across so, like you say, a lot sweeter and a lot, um, you know, just friendlier and happier to me. That was the the word yeah. I thought for sure, and uh, I wished I had had uh, I had not, I wasn't working for any radio stations or I would have interviewed him. I just simply thanked him for his music and and uh, got his latest uh, tape or whatever it was. But I guess he he did soften up and maybe it, and just um, 
things are tough when you're in charge of so much. Uh, I'm just trying to think back, and maybe at the time it was just a, a big, big thing to bite off, and they wanted so much for certain music that took a while to get out because they wanted it just right, and I don't know, perfection got the best of him. I don't know. So, I don't know. I have no idea. Yeah. I don't know what was involved. I know that I, it was too much for me, and I had yeah. to leave it all, and I, yeah. I was I was happy. I was much happier grinding up yeah. meat in a in a butcher store uh, and playing drums at Disneyland than I mm-hmm. was involved in all that. Yeah. So I, I I took that road. Yeah, you have to be happy what you're doing, and God has to be in it for you for sure. Uh, so that was my other question for you: If you hadn't been a musician, what else would you have done? And are you still doing some of those things now? I don't know what I would have done. Um, there were a lot of interests in my life, but I don't know what I would have done yeah. other than I would have gone to school and completed university, uh, which I did not do yeah. until I was 58. I, yeah. I went back to school for five years and, and finished university. Great. But um, I wish I would have done it at an earlier age. Yeah, don't so. don't we all, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure. If I could do it again, I'd... But, you know, yeah. it, yeah, I was going to say, you know, when in your younger years, you, you, uh, you don't have the discipline. No, you know, you have the you have the stamina, but not the discipline. That's right. And when you get older, it's the other way around. Mm-hmm. When you get older, you don't have the stamina, but you do have the discipline. So, yeah. uh, it it works a different way when you get older. For sure, for sure. Uh, so, do you still record anything and perform with anybody? Or is it just uh, it's all uh, retired off now? Well, I, I haven't played. The last thing I played on was uh, a DA record a few years ago called Dig Here, Said the Angel. Right on, yes, uh, yeah. And I played on a couple of tracks. Um, I was living in Dallas, and, uh, and they, Terry had the uh, uh, digital file sent to me, uh, and you know we, we did it there in Dallas, and I, I did a couple tunes, but I haven't played on anything since then. Yeah. You know, you never stop playing uh, no. in your head. No, you don't. Uh, it, it's always there. so. Uh, I'm still playing. It's just in my head. I still have a lot of my stuff. Mm-hmm. I've given a lot of uh, stuff away. I gave some percussion instruments to. Uh, oh gosh, uh, Todd Bragg, the plays with Crowder. Mm-hmm. Um, I gave Todd some stuff because he's a legitimate percussionist. Yeah. Uh, uh, but. Um, you know, someday I, I'm open to it. I just bought a brand new snare drum, nice. so I got to tune it and get working on it. Yeah, so. yeah. that's very cool. Um, was I going to ask you something there? It just slipped my mind. <laughs> yeah, so uh, you've told us what you're doing now um, and what you're planning to do. Oh, I know what I was going to ask you for Dig Here Said the Angel. What have you got any, What songs did you actually play on? That was the. Do you have. Uh, I played on it. Played on a tune called Jesus, uh, Jesus wept. Good, yeah. And, uh, and another song too, but I don't yeah. remember the title. We'll of it. have to look it up. Uh, we play that album a lot. That's why I'm asking. So we we have that one in our library. Yeah. So. so for now, I, I still think about music. I'm still involved a lot in music. Yeah, uh, yeah. I I write for uh, a magazine called Worship Musician. I write articles and interview people for them. They're based out of. Uh, 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 Puyallup or Tacoma, Washington. Okay, yeah. Uh, 
they're listening. Uh, they have a it's a digital magazine free uh, to anybody, and it's advertiser supported. It's emailed to about 1.1 million people, mm-hmm. uh, and that's called Worship Musician. So I work for them. Also, I've been teaching for the last uh, seven or eight years. I, I uh, taught at uh, Dallas Baptist University. I taught music business courses mm-hmm. for six years there, and I've been at, uh, moving here to Nashville. I now teach at uh, Trebekah, uh, uh Nazarene University. And so both schools have great uh, music business and worship leader programs. Mm-hmm. And so that's kind of what plugged into on a, on a uh, adjunct level is is teaching in those areas that's awesome great stuff okay well i think that's a a lot of great information you've really filled in lots of gaps for me and i'm sure our listeners as well and i want to thank you very much alex for uh for doing this and um thank you great well thank you it's been a delight uh when you get the program uh, put together, let me know when it's going to air. I'd love to listen to it. And uh, it's nice to meet, always nice to meet somebody new, especially somebody friendly. Okay. <laughs> so, Good thanks, thanks for the phone call. Okay, thanks so much. And uh, maybe get one more thing from me. I'm going to actually, uh, you don't have to turn this off. If you could just do a little liner for me, it would be great. And just say, uh, hi, this is Alex sure. McDougal, and you're listening to Classic Christian Rock Radio. And I'll, I'll count you in, and okay. then we can use that. Okay, ready? One, two, and three. Hi, this is Alex MacDougall, and you're listening to Classic Christian Radio. Okay, I'm sorry. that's okay. That's okay. We did this with Brian Duncan, and he messed it up, too. <laughs> so let, let me do more for you. Okay, we'll do another one. It's Classic Christian Rock Radio. Gotcha. Okay, okay. one, two, and three. Hi there. You're listening to Alex MacDougall, and uh, we're here with Classic Christian Rock Radio. Perfect. Thank you so much. I'm going to turn off my recording.